Well, Happy New Year to you all. We've got a different little kind of start to it. Uh, but, you know, every day, I'm told now from December 21st on, every day it's getting lighter by more than two minutes. And so we've come through a kind of a dark fall and uh, dealing with COVID. And here we start a new year and it's getting better and brighter every day. Um, New Year's is just, uh, it's a, a wonderful time to stop and pause and a time for reflection on what our past has been and what our future will be. And, and so we, we kind of think and rehearse what were the joys and what were the accomplishments, what were the things that we're so grateful for and that were wonderful. And then it, it, probably for all of us, there'll be some disappointments too, things that if we had a chance, we would do them all over again. Well, it's a time for New Year's resolutions for some people. And uh, I, I found out what the top eight uh, New Year's resolutions were. Okay, you ready for this? And I, I hope this, some of these may uh, re reflect what you think or what your desire is. How about this? Number one is exercise more. Uh, you in for that one? I'll, I'll go for that. Lose weight? Another good one. How about this one? Get organized. Um, here was another one. Learn a new hobby or a skill. Hey, you ever want to take up the piano or karate or something like that? Well, maybe that's the time to do it. Here's one. Live life to the fullest. Can't argue with that. Here's one. Save more money, spend less money. Okay, financial, uh, fiscal responsibility. How's that? This one. Quit smoking. Great thing uh, to go for, to quit smoking. And uh, uh, a really meaningful one here. Spend more time with family and friends. I laugh. One, one person said their goal for uh, th this year is uh, this. It's to lose weight in 2022. <laughs> so there, there you go. You, you, you uh, put, push that off a year. Well, it's a great time to think, to pause about life, where we've been and where we are going. It's interesting that Socrates is credited with this statement. The unexamined life is not worth living. I mean, if we go living year by year and we don't stop and pause and determine whether, in fact, we're doing the right things, we're on the right track, we're living well in our life. Well, last fall, we focused on a whole series of messages on the theme of grow up, that God wanted for us to mature in our faith, to grow, to develop, and what that was ultimately was to become more and more like Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Have you seen spiritual growth as we went through those series of messages, um, as we become more like Jesus? Do we see that in increasing measure in our life? Uh, that we see knowledge and character and wisdom and love and service and all of these kind of things that God wants to develop in us. Uh, one way we measure this, according to Jesus, is to understand and live for what is eternal or permanent in our life. Um, one way we measure it is to, to see the things that we are doing. Will they stand the test of time? Will they have eternal consequences or are they just for now? Uh, 
Well, it's the eternal versus the temporary. Lasting or transitory. Permanent or ethereal. Uh, what are you living your life for? What do you, what's driving you? What are the values that you're, you're connected to? Well, Jesus said you can invest your, your life into a lot of things that don't last and that are not ultimately meaningful. Or you can live and make eternal investments for time and for eternity. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus said these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we think about our lives and how we prioritize how we live our lives, what, what do we make central in that? Um, he tells us that we need to put a premium on eternal values, on eternal things over temporary things. Now he uses some examples from uh, the material realm. He says, uh, you don't put your stock in things that uh, are susceptible to loss or degradation. Um, he says, clothes, the moths can eat those. Um, or for some of us, <laughs> they can go out of style and we won't wear them anymore. Or rust destroys. I have only ever had one new car in my life. And this one car, I tried to take good care of it. In fact, I had it under, uh, under body oiled. And what happened was it rusted where they did that. Uh, I was so happy with that car, but it let me down in that way. Things that are prone to stealing. Our son bought his own mountain bike, saved and worked. And uh, he went to the fair and uh, left his bike. And then he came back and the bike was gone. Something that he had worked hard for and prized and now somebody had stolen it from him. You know, somebody said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. The things that you can't take with you. And, and that's not just material goods, uh, but it goes beyond that. Jesus would say earlier in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, that the, the religious leaders were concerned with no, notoriety and their image and they were addicted to fame and position and some some of them were making a spectacle of their religious practices they wanted people to think that they were so wonderful and uh, and God says you know if you do that and people applaud for you and see you're so wonderful and you're so spiritual uh, God says Jesus says you got your reward but he says get go for a reward that is not for just now, but something that will be eternal. He, char he charges us to, to seek uh, making deposits and investments in our heavenly account, if you will, that will last forever. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, and God gives them to us, and we can enjoy them. But the problem is this. The problem is when they become more important to us than God, when we love the gifts more than we love the giver. And uh, we're called to love not things, but to love God, to love people. Love, love people and use things, not love things and use people. Uh, when we think of this, 
we should be asking, how is it that God designs and shapes our values? How does he direct our choices for us? And um, how do we live our lives on purpose, on God's purpose? Well, the bottom line is this. Jesus was asked by some religious leaders in, uh, what, what the most important commandment was. Now, there's 613 commandments found in the Old Testament. And uh, they wanted to trick Jesus. So they said this. Um, tell us, Jesus, what, what is the most important of all these 613 commands? What, what's the most significant? What's the most important? And here was Jesus' reply in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he goes on and says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you have, all, everything that's in you, your heart, your soul, your might, your strength, everything. This is what should guide our lives. And it's this commitment to God's word that should shape the course of our life. Um, to love God. But there's a second commandment that he draws from immediately in that passage. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is really fascinating to me because when, when we look at some of the rest of scripture, we realize this, that if we, uh, if we are loving God, we will love people. And so he can reduce it to loving people. In James 2.8, it says, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. You've got it all together. If you're doing that, the God part is already taken care of because you can't love others unless you love God and God's love is in you. And, and listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think that is so powerful that God says to me, to us, what I want you to do is love me with all your heart, but that's going to really look like loving people with all of your heart and love them, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Well, when Jesus said this, um, he, he caught the attention of the religious leaders. They couldn't argue with it. And uh, so they said, uh, well, tell us, Jesus, who is my neighbor then? Uh, because they wanted to justify themselves. Uh, you know, Tell me who my neighbor is because I've reduced my religious duty to you um, through keeping the commandments and, and my self-worth is wrapped up in that. Well, Jesus said, I want to tell you a story to help you understand what that is. And the story he told was the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan involved a man, a Jewish man, who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's probably like a 20-mile jaunt uh, for them there. And, and as he was going on that uh, journey, he was accosted by robbers who beat him senselessly, robbed him, took everything that he had, left him naked, in a pool of blood on the side of the road. Now here, here is a person who is in dire need um, and a priest, if you will, a clergy person, um, comes by and as he looks at the situation and very qu quickly assesses it, um, 
he refused to help. He, he went around this person lying there and, and was unwilling to help. I don't know whether it was kind of some impurity because they wouldn't be allowed to touch blood. Uh, we don't know whether it was fear that maybe the people who did this are close by. But whatever it was, he had no compassion on this person uh, lying, dying in the roadway. Well, a Levite comes along and he's a religious worker as well. He's involved in, in God's work. He did the exact same thing that the priest did. He, he just went around on the other way. And then a Samaritan came along. Now you need to understand that a Samaritan and a Jew were not on friendly terms. They couldn't stand each other. So here comes your enemy. He sees you in a pool of blood. And, and what he does is he reaches out to care for you. He, he puts him on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. He, he, he cares for his needs. He pays uh, for what he had used and gave more and said, look, at if, if he needs any more, when I come back again, I'm going to, uh, I'll pay you whatever you need. So Jesus told this wonderful and piercing story. And what he did was he, 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 said, uh, he said to them, now, which one of these was a neighbor? And the religious leader said, well, I suppose it's the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you've got it. Now go and, and use that as your model. Your model is this, that you need to reach out to fellow human beings, no matter how, who they are, no matter what the relationship is like. If they're in proximity to you and you see a need and you can meet that need, then do it. Show love for God through loving people in that way. And uh, at the heart of the ministry of our church is to reach out with the love of God, to help people come to know Him, uh, to reach out and touch them. Our vision statement is this, touching our world through Jesus Christ, one life at a time. Did you get that? What we want to be and do as a church is this, we want to touch our world, a world that's broken, a world that's hurting, a world that is struggling. And we want to touch that world through Jesus Christ, one life at a time. That we would be so captivated by God's love for us, that we would love him back by loving others. And if the whole church were deployed in this, wherever we were, just acts of kindness and love and, and uh, generosity. What, what would that do in our homes, in, in our neighborhood, in our places of work? Downtown Toronto, where we've ministered through uh, Toronto Alliance Church. Um, how about the cashier that we run into? Or the next door neighbor who is struggling as a young mom with, uh, with kids at home and sickness? Um, uh, what about seniors who are trying to dig out of a hole of two foot of snow or something like that? Um, we see people all around with needs, with issues, with problems. And we need to desire to touch them through Jesus Christ, one life at a time. The Apostle Paul had a version of the uh, Roman saying, carpe diem, seize the day. That's what the uh, 
the Roman poet Horace said, seize the day, make the most of the day you had. In Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul uh, calls us to live in love and to live in wisdom. It says in Ephesians 5 in verse 1 and 2 that, uh, that we need to live a life of love to those around us. And in Ephesians 5, 15 and 17, the Apostle Paul would say this about living a life of wisdom. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Literally, it says, redeem the time. Buy up the opportunities that God gives you. Now, there are two Greek words, uh, both used for time. Uh, one is chronos, and uh, you'll know that chronological comes from it, and chronology. And this is kind of time in, in its linear dimension. Uh, a second at a time, a minute at a time, an hour in days. And we, we look and measure time in that kind of way. But there's another also a word used for time, and that's kairos. And kairos is time is in eras, in, in chunks of time, and also in opportunities. The Apostle Paul says, make, every, uh, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Every day God gives us is a gift, and it's a gift for him to use that to uh, make the most of that time to reach out and help others. Every day is a gift. And none of us gets more or less than that. We can't stretch it. Uh, we, we can waste it away. Um, and when it's gone, it's gone. We can't recoup that. Let me ask you a question. Are you a judicious, wise person with respect to the time that you have? Do you apply yourself to using time in really good opportunities to make it count, to help others? God's priority should become our priority. And uh, in, in, uh, in Ephesians 5.2, we're told to walk in the walk of love. That is, invest our life in loving and caring for others. That's something that has eternal value. Our world is in darkness. He says in there, um, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. They're tough days. They're, they're trying days. Uh, there, there are problems that all kinds of people have. There are financial problems. There are health issues. There are relational problems. There are all kinds of things. Uh, there's sickness. And when we're confronted by people who are discouraged, uh, people who are hurt, sick. They're our neighbors and we confront these people who are discouraged and, and we reach out to them. By God's grace, we extend a hand. They need a good Samaritan. They need somebody who's going to walk by them, see them and take note of them and be willing to reach out with love for them. They, they need something at the lowest point in time of their life. And Jesus calls to them through us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, 
day in and day out as God's people, we're called to recognize the people that we come in contact with, the people that we see. Uh, we're called to recognize that God puts people in our path that we might be a blessing to them and to help them. Do you see them? Do you see them through that feigned smile? Do you see them covering up pain? Do you see them people in need of a good Samaritan? And God puts them in our path, beaten up, robbed, robbed of dignity, dying on the inside. There are many people who need a kind word. They need somebody to provide some resources, to advocate for someone, to lend a hand, to walk with them in their pain. We become the hands and the feet of Jesus. We extend his love and his help and his grace. And the Apostle Paul says, when you think about life, when you think about living wisely and profitably, you need to recognize that God has rescued you so that you could be a part of his rescue team to help others. That we will see people that are put in our path that need the grace of God and we would be willing to reach out in love. That's making an eternal deposit in our account. That's making a, a difference that will last for all of eternity. Sometimes we can be so overwhelmed with the need around us that we don't know what to do. I remember a statement uh, that Andy Stanley made that it was so uh, uh, interesting and, and challenging for me. He says, do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. We can be so uh, overcome with all of the needs around us. He said, no, just do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. And if we all did something for one person, how would that make a difference? I want to tell you a story about Suzanne. Suzanne uh, came to our church. Um, she had three children, the youngest of which was in a, a car carrier. Uh, she came and uh, she had two other children. And I noticed that they would come into church and sit at the back. And she would always, she wouldn't let the baby go into the nursery. She kept them all together. And we had a, a, a special newcomer's welcome. And uh, she had come for several weeks. And uh, she said I, she would come to the, to the uh, luncheon. And uh, Gerda and I sat with her and her children and got to know her a little bit over lunch. Um, subsequently, she phoned me and said, could she come and make an appointment and talk to me? I said, I'd be delighted to, uh, to share with her and talk to her. And she began to tell me her story. She had three children by three different men. Uh, one of the, the men tried to kill her and one of her children. She uh, was struggling and, and having a terrible time in life and ends up in our church. She said she tried several other churches, but she never felt welcome there. She never felt accepted there. And something with our people as they greeted her and reached out to her made this seem a little more safe than what she was used to. As she told us about her life and the mess it was in, she told us about her grandmother. And her grandmother, who would tell her about Jesus as a five-year-old and a six-year-old, and now with her life in tatters and ruins and not knowing what to, go, to do, 
thinking of the words that her grandmother said, she sought out a church. We had the joy, the exquisite joy of helping her come to faith in Jesus Christ. She had a lot, a lot to deal with in her life and uh, it was so wonderful to see her baptized and to see her trusting the church and allowing the kids to go into the programs. But she had, uh, she had challenges too. And I know a man who had a, um, an older van, had it safetyed for her and got it for her so that she would have better reliable wheels to, uh, to get her around. And her son was a bit of a troubled boy, a young, a young lad. At the same time, we had a man in our church who, uh, whose adult daughter, about a 38-year-old, died of cancer. They nursed her. He and his wife nursed her through those final uh, weeks and months of her uh, disease. And uh, I would see, his name was Bill, and I would see Bill, and Bill would come, and I'd put my arms around him, and he would just cry. So... Uh, forlorn over the death of his daughter. I said to him, Bill, I have somebody for you. He's your namesake. His name is William. He's a young guy. He has no dad, no father figure taking care of him. And I wonder if you would be willing to connect with him. And Bill did that. Every week, he would take little William out. He would take him to to see a, a train display or, or something that would be of interest to him. He would take him out for a Saturday morning breakfast. And, and here, is, here is a woman. And, and because of the outreach and love of people, uh, opened her heart to Jesus Christ and started to get her life back together. And this uh, relationship with her son would last for several years where he was just that that solid male uh, figure in his life. Friends, what we need to work on leaving a legacy of things that will last. And, and so often, you know, we think, what, what will people remember us for? Uh, will they remember us as being a workaholic or the hobbies that we had or the achievements or our temperament? W would there be anything of lasting value that we would have there? Or would we be deaf and blind to those around us who need a good Samaritan? They need somebody who will love them for Christ's sake. A number of years ago, I had the funeral home uh, call me and uh, they had uh, a person who had uh, passed away, uh, a father, an older man, and uh, they said they had no religious affiliation, but back in their history, they had an affiliation with the same denomination. He said, if you'd like, I'll call the pastor of that church and see if he'd do a service for your family. And uh, so I said I would, and uh, I gathered together in, in the family's home, and they had children and grandchildren. And uh, I want to make this uh, funeral service, something special and, and tailored to this person and who he was and all the rest of that. So I got the family and after we got through a bit of uh, formalities, I said, tell me about your dad. And the room was quiet. What was he like? And still nothing. I, I tried to ask that question as many ways as I could. And I was getting nothing. And then finally one person said this. 
he really loved to bowl. And I thought, how do I make a funeral service out of he really liked to bowl? Yeah, John loved to bowl. He was proud of that bowling ball he had. That was a wonderful bowling ball. He'd had it for years. It was his lucky bowling ball. Uh, he loved it. He would never miss. I mean, what am I to say? His family here, the most important people, and the only thing they have to say about him is he loved bowling. Friends, I, I trust that we would give our lives to something, something of eternal value that God would work in and through us and, and he would do something wonderful and he would change lives, that we would touch the lives of people through Jesus one life at a time, just not trying to do everything for everybody, but allowing God to put somebody in our path that we can do and what, what we can uh, have. And, and, and that is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have to offer. <laughs> we're at the start of a new year. We're going to make decisions on what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And, and I trust that as we do that, you'll be thinking of what is of eternal value that you can do, that you can invest yourself in. And you may not be a, a follower of Jesus Christ yet, my prayer is that at the beginning of this new year, you would recognize that there's a God who loves you, who sent his son to die on a cross for you, to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And, and, and uh, he was resurrected from the dead, conquering our most feared enemy. And we have no fear over that now because he came to bring us life, life eternal forgiveness, a relationship with him. And my prayer is that if you have not yet done that, that you would make that decision. And uh, I would say also, uh, if you have made that decision and you think about this year ahead, I, I pray and I trust that you'll think about what you can do that will have lasting and eternal value to it that you be able to touch the lives of somebody who is outside of Jesus Christ, who's in distress, who has trials and suffering and difficulty, and you can be Christ to them. That's my prayer for us today.